listen to Michael's Office and Podcast, which serves my unfiltered, unscripted, and genuine thoughts about things going on in the entertainment world today. This week, I'll be doing two movie reviews, and that's it. I'll explain why I'm just doing them. So please, step into my office. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in this episode. This one's going to be basically an impromptu episode. Um, I was inspired by a comment uh, Hector left on Facebook. Um, Generally speaking, this is just going to be a review episode. Um, I'm going to be reviewing two films I saw recently, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and uh, Bardo, False Chronicles of... uh, No, it's a False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. It's a big name. Uh, I saw those two at the theater recently, and I want to talk about them. Um... My original plan for this week was to record with Jack, bring him on again, and we were going to have an assortment of topics to talk about, including Bardo, um, but that fell through. We're going to postpone it to this weekend, just to let you guys know. So first things first, I saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is the same story of Pinocchio. But it's a bit more closer to the original uh, story from what I understand. It takes place in Italy. And it's set during what I believe is World War II. um, Because Benito Mussolini plays a big part in this. Or a semi-big part. He plays an important role in this film. And the themes it wants to talk about. And all the things it wants to talk about and address. It's... Uh, also animated as well. It's not like a live action thing like um, some maybe would expect since it's Guillermo del Toro. Um, Guillermo del Toro, I don't think, has done a an animated film before. Maybe he did one with uh, something else. Let me check his filmography real quick. Um, that he's only directed one film that was animated, and it is Pinocchio. Okay, great. But yes, this is his first animated film. Which is delightful. Um, it's it should have been expected that he would eventually do an animated film, and then finally he he decided to do it. Uh, apparently, this has been a passion project, and it really shows. Um, I said Nightmare Alley was his best since Pan's Labyrinth, um, and I've got to say this is probably his second best film that I've, I've seen. Um, it's not my second favorite. Uh, my second favorite is... Actually, that is my favorite. That is my favorite. I think Pan's Labyrinth is his best. And I think Pacific Rim... Pacific Rim is my favorite still. But Pan's Labyrinth is his best. Uh, Pacific Rim is, is my second favorite. My second... Not second favorite. My favorite... While Pinocchio, I think, is his second best. Or specifically, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is his second best film. And that's a high uh, measure of praise when he's created films like, again, like Pacific Rim, like uh, Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley. I think I was one of the people who was on the positive end of Nightmare Alley. Uh, Guess the majority, but uh, I thought Nightmare Alley was absolutely fantastic. Um, completely worthy of uh, Best Picture nomination but this is utterly fantastic and, and when you think Guillermo del Toro creating a f- 
film for, for children or uh, family-friendly film, this is exactly what you get. Um, all horrific in imagery and all at certain points. Uh, the the fairy, the blue fairy, um, which is the one that's responsible for creating Pinocchio, has a really kind of a, a terrifying design. Um, it's a very up Pinocchio's alley. I mean, not Pio, Pinocchio. Again, with the Toro's alley. Uh, a lot of the creatures in here are very much up. Guillermo del Toro's alley. And it's awesome to see, especially Pinocchio. Especially Pinocchio. Um, the, the fantastic parts about this film is when Pinocchio is first created, you see the reason why he's created. Um, it's a, in, in, in answer to Geppetto's grief. Um, uh, I haven't seen the original Disney Pinocchio in a bit, but I don't think it was an answer to Geppetto's grief. I think Geppetto accidentally made him. I think he was uh, in the Disney when he accidentally made him. I'm going to check real quick. But I thought he wanted to create Pinocchio. Uh, as a puppet. He just wanted him as a puppet, like a puppet for his own. And that's completely fine. Like, he was poor, um, he needed to make a living, and that was a great way to do it. Um, so he found himself a, a, a son in that, and he created a relationship that way, which is beautiful in its own way, and it's sweet. But this is a lot better, uh, because um, Geppetto is grieving over the loss of his son. This happens in the first few minutes, so it's not a spoiler. Um, I'm not going to tell you how he dies, um, but he's grieving over the, the loss of the son and how he makes it is kind of how he makes Pinocchio, or the reason why he makes Pinocchio in his grief is unexpected. Um, but also, uh, just speaking of Geppetto, the way they animate Geppetto, and the animation is stunning. I love stop motion animation. I always have an affinity for stop motion animation. Um, and this is no different. It's not like Laika levels of great, despite Laika like kind of falling off a quarry. Um, in, recent, in recent months, um, I think this is still very beautiful and uh, fluid and amazing. Uh, how Pinocchio first moves, I love how he moves. He's very creepy when he first appears, but also it's just, he's, he's, the, he's a living embodiment of the whimsy that this film has, and it's perfect for Del Toro to be the one to tell the story. Um, you can feel it. You can feel the whimsy he has in his previous films. While Nightmare Alley is his most dark, there's still like whimsy there, like in the first uh, third of it when um, Carlisle, I think his name is Carlisle, or Bradley Cooper's character is at the carnival. You see him kind of experiencing the whimsy of what he can possibly do and how he can make a living in life and how he can succeed. And now when they're at the carnival, there's a lot of whimsy there. There's this subtle, subtle whimsy, and then and then in um, Shape of Water, 
in, uh, I can't remember her name, I feel so bad, Sally Hawkins' um, characters, fantasies, she has a lot of fantasies, and they're whimsical and magical, and just a relationship with uh, the creature. I don't know, he's got a name, he's got an actual name, but I don't remember what he's called. Their relationship is whimsical and magical, and this, but this is just the, I think, um, the personification of that is the the most forward, overt uh, feelings you get from the film is this whimsy, and it's absolutely lovely, absolutely lovely. Um, but with that, there's also the score from Alexander Desplat, which is a gorgeous score. It's one of my favorite scores of the year um subtle at certain points and it helps uh, and then it m- m- like melds with the uh with the musical numbers there are musical numbers here they're not as they're not going to be as iconic as when you wish upon a star and and i've got no strings to hold me down um they're not on that level none of them are they're all fun I love like maybe two or three. Uh, Ciao Papa, I really, really like. Uh, it's on Spotify right now. You can listen to it. It's cute. And Contract of the Story, it's kind of sad. It didn't make me cry like some people were claiming on Twitter and people were excited for the film. Um, it might make you cry, but um, it kind of, that I definitely am glad that's the first one that's released because it definitely gives you good a good vibe of or good understanding of what the vibes and what this movie's going to be like. Um, and, uh, but there are some other songs, like the first opening song I have really, I love, it was just like it helped pull me in. Well, I think the really thing that pulled me in is when Pinocchio comes to life. Um, that's what really, just like, oh, that's what really got me to loving it. But, um, it's, it's, that song, which is really sweet, it's called, I think it's going to be called My Son. I didn't stay around to the credits to see what all the song names were. But, um, I really liked that song, which is the opening number. And then, uh, Jiminy Cricket, or he's called Sebastian J. Cricket in this one. He gets, uh, a really great song that Hugh McGregor sings, um, at the end of the movie. And I love that. I love the song. And generally speaking, uh, other than that, the voice performances are really, really good. Um, uh, they really, again, David Bradley as Geppetto is probably my favorite there. And uh, it, it's also the anima- way his character is animated, the way his eyes are animated. Um, broke my heart a couple times. Um, generally the characters are really well animated and their facial expressions are so alive and lively uh, yeah and the movie um, is uh, just maybe the, the f- again the film is really beautiful um, the dialogue's not the best of course but that it's totally like everything else is totally made up by the film's heart um, and the emotions you'll feel during it 
and uh, I, I, I keep going from place to place from cat topic to topic because of the emotions you feel. Uh, going back to the cast, I'm a bit unorganized, but the cast is really well voice acted. Uh, Gregor Mann as Pinocchio is wonderful. Um, uh, Christoph Waltz as Count Volpe, he's a great antagonist, along with Ron Perlman. I didn't realize it was Ron. I forgot Ron Perlman was in the film. But if I knew he was in the film, I would recognize his voice. His voice sounds familiar. If you don't know, he's like, oh, the voice sounds familiar. But um, uh, Hugh McGregor is uh, great as always. Um, but there's a particularly running gag that I found hilarious, and I'm probably one of the few people who can. I'm the, well, the theater I was in really liked it um, for the most part. I probably was the one who was continuously laughing at the gag. Um, I'm not gonna say what it is uh, because I feel like it gets a bit spoilery because I don't want you guys to uh, go in there like, oh yeah. Some people are like, oh, I didn't like it. Uh, but when it was described to me in another review, uh, it was like a minor spoiler, like a very minor, minor spoiler. It's like spoiling a joke. I don't wanna spoil the joke. When he described the running gag to me, I'm like, oh, that sounds really, really funny, actually. And the film is funny. Um, it's not only for that for that running gag, but there are jokes throughout. Um, and there are some, maybe some visual gags. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson also plays some comic relief characters. And I didn't realize it was Tim Blake Nelson. He's a really good voice actor, by the way. I love Tim Blake Nelson. He's just one of those character actors where you're like, oh, him. I love him. Or you hate him. <laughs> But he's a, he's a, it's a joy to always see him be a part of any cast, for, for me, personally. But the, um, the real kicker about it for the film is all these dark themes that surround it, like the politics that surround it with fa fascism and death and grief and loss. Um, this film on um, war war doesn't shy away from war and the, the hostilities and the harmfulness that comes from it and also uh, capitalism and corruption and um, it's a, and it deals with like mortality and death uh, I already talked about death but it deals with a lot of things that you don't expect and then also in those things there's a lot of life affirming stuff like um Again, also grief. There's like, uh, there's in grief in a positive way, dealing with grief in a positive way, and and in finding friendship, and uh, uh, father-son relationships. Um, found fa again, found family, and there's a lot of themes of friendship, and also there's this beauty. And there's a life-affirming message about enjoying life and finding love. Um, it's really beautiful, and uh, the films, and the real kicker, another real kicker, is the films have so much heart, and it's, it's gonna make you cry so much, and that's what I love most about it, it is the most uh, emotional Guillermo del Toro film has ever done, and it's a real beautiful thing that Netflix has got this and families are going to put this on and they're going to watch it with their kids and kids are going to ask them questions about uh, what does this mean and, and they're going to talk about it they're going to reflect on it and, 
families are going to talk about it, and I think it's going to be a really beautiful experience for everybody, and I think when this comes on Netflix, you can catch it in select theaters now, but when families finally get to sit around and watch it, they get to talk about it, I think it'll bring families closer together, it'll help kids understand the world a little bit more, and um, it'll answer some much needed uh, questions or questions they're going to have, and I think parents are going to have to eventually answer and talk about. It is an excellent film. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, it's one of my favorites of the year. That's in my top ten. I think I've seen 65, 65 films, maybe 66, and it's in my top ten. So when you guys get the chance, and that's excluding, including something like uh, National Theatre Lives, Prima Facie, and I don't think it's in my top ten anymore, but um, Bo Burnham's Inside Optics, uh, in the Inside Optics, like including stuff like that. Uh, wonderful, it's a wonderful film, and I can't wait for you guys to see it on Netflix November 6th. Not November 6th, that's already passed. December 6th. Alright. The next film was a whole lot more challenging um, compared to Pinocchio. Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. I watched Alejandro Gonzalez's uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inirito's newest film, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths same theater same day um so i was a bit worn out from uh from crying <laughs> so when there are some emotional moments came in the film i didn't shed a tear like i wanted to like i was feeling things don't worry i was feeling things um so yeah there is that so this if, if you connect with the film you'll feel things but anyway um this is his newest film inyoritu has directed uh critically acclaimed films like his debut Amores uh, Perros in 21 Grams and he has also directed Babel and uh, Beautiful uh, Beautiful 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 and uh, most notably he has also directed the Revenant, which Leonardo DiCaprio uh, won his Oscar for, and um, was nominated for Best Picture and was in the run, and people loved that film. And he also directed Best Picture-winning film uh, Birdman, um, or the um, virtuistic importance of ignorance, or something like that. <laughs> um. Those are his most notable things. And he's finally returned after a long time. I think he retired. I think he, or he just basically said, I don't have any stories I want to tell. I'm taking a break for a long time. And I'm just going to wait it out. And then he finally thought, you know what? I think I've done enough for cinema. I'm going to tell a story about me. <laughs> um, I say that like a negative thing. And it's a, kind of a negative thing, and it, but it's mostly a joke. Uh, and 
I can tell, I think if I didn't know that, that it was very much a personal film for Inyoritu, I don't think I would have liked this. I don't think coming in at it from that angle, I don't think I would have liked this. But now that I have that that thing, good thing I listen to what critics have to say. I, I don't know what I'd do with myself if I would be there at a premiere. Um, because I've been at a, a premiere for a film before. Uh, I think it was like the Midwestern premiere for a film. And um, I didn't know how I felt about that movie. <laughs> Uh, I went to see 18 and a half at its Midwestern premiere in the U.S. I think it was either its U.S. premiere or it's, like mid, again, mid, either Midwestern premiere, Missouri premiere. I don't know. It was a premiere of some kind. And uh, so I'm like, oh, sweet, cool. Um, but it was just, it was a very interesting film. I was excited because of the cast uh, and the premise. And interesting. It was 18 and a half. Uh, yeah. But, again, with Bardo... Knowing going in that this was a very personal film for Inyaritu, I'm like, okay. It allowed me to take a step back and then analyze it from that perspective. And since I had that perspective, it was very eye-opening for me. And, um, and there were times where I was like, this is just not working for me. I don't know where this is going, and then the the um, scene would lead up to something. The whole thing about this film is there isn't much of a story to it. It's a lot about the themes connecting to. Um, it's just about him putting a lot of themes out there, a lot of ideas out there, um, and a lot of metaphors out there. It is pretty. I, I when I wrote my review for it on Letterbox, I also have reviews for these on Letterbox and Facebook. If you follow me on Facebook, but um, I put out my reviews for it, and I said in my review for Bardo that this felt like a dream play by August, or a play basically a play by August Strindberg, and what August Strindberg believed is basically the creativity should be limitless. It's basically should be like dreams. Or dreams are limitless and they're not bound by anything or much logic. And I think that's what Inurito kind of tried to do here. He borrowed that concept um, or used, utilized that concept here. I don't know if he follows August Strindberg. I think he really just let his ideas flow and just put it into a film. I think he was just writing, when he was writing the script, he's like, oh, that sounds really cool. Or like, yeah, I want to talk about that. So he's like, he wrote the scene down. And generally speaking, it's a nonsensical plot connected by themes and metaphors and ideas, and what what Inyaritu wants to say about himself as a filmmaker, as a filmmaker, as a person. I mean, as a human being, um, and what is his place in the world, and to see all the struggles that he has. Is a very are very human struggles. His generally, it's um, mostly about his identity, which again, that all those all those questions of what is place. It's all about identity for Inyoritu. Um, what is his identity as an artist? Uh, what is his identity as a family man? What is an, his identity as 
uh, as a citizen, whether it be a citizen of Mexico or a citizen uh, of an America, as an identity as an artist. Uh, and the way he struggles with all these questions um, can be a bit emotional and intense and a lot at times. Um, and the way he counters this with his, which is, uh, is he counters a lot of with, with some humor. He counters it with some humor and some emotion. Um, generally, there's this theme about a baby. Mateo, is, there's this this thing about a baby coming back. Um, about a baby that I. Th- think they miscarriage there is a, probably a miscarriage there's some jokes in there which i did not there's some dark humor <laughs> some very uh, spanish humor in there uh the spanish humor i've just seen like videos of a very similar style of humor and i also watched a couple of uh, spanish films and they have a very similar style of humor um so to uh, see that play out, it was funny. And then one scene in particular uh, was, I was like, where is this going? And then, like, they had some very interesting things to talk about. Also, it's, he, uh, uh, which I'll get into later. I'll get into a little bit after what they're talking about. Um, but it was le- led up to a joke, which I, <laughs> which I was the only one dying in the theater because it was so funny, the thing it was leading up to, it just broke all this tension with, with something that happened. And I'm like, oh, I, it, because I didn't expect it. And it made me laugh. I was having such a good time with it. But the things they were talking about was, was generally they were talking about Mexico and its history. And again, it's, a, again, it's all about what it means to be Mexican. Um, a citizen of Mexico and... and Acknowledging the, the country's history and its past and the problems that come with it. Um, he, he puts that in a lot of detail. He also highlights the, the, his relationship both artistically with America and historically and his frustrations there, but also he, he acknowledges some things. Um, other things he does... Um, that's he also acknowledges some of his issues like he, uh, there's a uh, a friend of his who talks about his work and criticizes a lot of things he criticizes a lot of things and it's like a lot of things that I've heard about people who don't like Inuritu's films they've said the exact same things and he acknowledges it but he also shows that he doesn't care anymore. He's tired of it. He just doesn't care anymore. Um, I mentioned in my review that the film feels like it is... I don't want to say a home movie, but it feels like if somebody made a video or made an artistic project or a piece of media or something, like they were showing something off at something they made, and you just basically sat down with them and you watched it together or you looked at it together. He was kind of just like showing off all the things. Like, oh, look at this little thing I did. 
and oh look at look at that look, look yeah look this is why I did it and he's super excited about it and super passionate about it um, and it's just like he's kind of putting his arm around you not like like an aggressive way like some people do he's just like opening you up to his mind and trying to let you in on how he feels about his place in the world and he's he's trying to let you guys in and understand but if you don't get that he's gonna be just like he's gonna just like shake his he's gonna shrug and he's gonna be sad but then he's also gonna just like okay whatever if you know what I mean um, and the film is beautiful it tries to be uh, like the, the film is beautiful to look at it's also I think it's a sort of beautiful film but it's beautiful to look at it's not like uh, it's not like as well shot as something Lebesky done it's not shot by Lebesky it's shot by somebody else I think it's like Dave Filia or something like that I feel so bad uh, Darius Condi oh my gosh look at all the things he's done <laughs> He shot a lot of great stuff. He shot, like, uh, why did he, he shot Evita? Yeah. He shot uh, Okja and uh, Uncut Gems. He shot uh, and Seven and, and more and Lost City of Z. Mm. That's interesting. He's done some interesting stuff. That is a very, it's a very beautiful, well shot. It's, it emulates Lebesky. Uh, uh, in certain ways, but it's still in your um, The film is well acted. Uh, I like uh, uh, his wife Lucia, and I like the daughter uh, Camilla. I like how they're acted. Um, but obviously, the real person here is uh, Daniel Gimenez Cacho. Cacho's really a heart and soul of this film, and at times he, like, from far away, like, there are certain shots, it's like, is that Inyarito? No, it's, and it's not. It's him. It's, it's just, I really appreciate that. I think the score is wonderful. Um, yeah, I think the score is wonderful. It's edited really well. Like, there are seamless transitions. Um, uh, and the big positive for me is that it reminded me surprisingly maybe I had a good day but it reminded me of why I love cinema so much because this film is like absolutely transcendent at some times like I was completely immersed in it for almost most of its runtime there are certain things that took me out of it but a lot of the, when it, when the film works and you're really just like in it Oh my gosh, it sucks you and it grabs you. Maybe because I was in a theater and I wasn't distracted by my phone. Because the only time I pulled my phone out is because I got it in my, in my reviews. I got to write a quote from the film. That's the only time. That's basically the only time. Or if I got a notification, I kind of just swipe it away. Um, and that only happened like once. And then I immediately turned off my, vib my vibrate. Yeah, it was on silent, but I put it on vibrate and I just turned it off after that. Um, I missed like a couple seconds, and I don't think it was anything important. <laughs> also went to the bathroom. Did I go to the bathroom at one point? I did go to the bathroom at one point, but it was something not important. <laughs> I don't think it was important. 
Or maybe I didn't. I can't remember. I know I went to the bathroom for after sun. Um, I had to really go. I'm sorry. Also, after sun is really slow. <laughs> At certain points. Um, but yeah, this, there is a dance party scene. That's absolutely incredible. Like the music and the dancing and the way the camera's utilizing itself. The camera work's incredible. The shots, like, it's mesmerizing. And there's also another scene before this, I believe, where he's in a studio and being entered, where uh, Saverio is played by Daniel Gimenez Cacho and is the stand in for Anyritu, is being interviewed by his friend who eventually criticizes him and it's an, an immaculate sequence um, and it really cemented me about like it really helped me understand what this film was trying to say and what it was trying to do and I was like oh, oh I'm really on board okay this is what the film is trying to do okay let's go and it was both terrifying at certain to ter- like just um, I think it's key 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 factor to Katra's performance but it was terrifying like you could see the terror on his face and the, the utter embarrassment and the uh, it was such a surreal moment and it's incredible it's incredible um, but my problem with it uh, the film is that it's a bit self-indulgent and I think I think Alejandro knows that. I think uh, Inyoritu knows that, that he's getting self-indulgent. He, he talks about it in the film. He acknowledges it. But he, he indulges himself a little bit. I feel like he can still cut it down. I feel like this can be a two-hour, 15-minute movie, maybe a two-hour, 20-minute movie. Shave another 19 minutes off. <laughs> because there are certain shots I'm like, do, do you really need to stay around for that long? Do I don't think you do. <laughs> You feel the length at certain points, unlike Decision to Leave. Like this, I'm probably I'm highlighting stuff that I mentioned in my review. Unlike in Decision to Leave, where I've looked upon reflection, where it is stringing along, but you're invested. And like, where is this going? And it always leads to something because you think, just like those characters in Decision to Leave, you think the story's wrapped up. It's not. It's gonna. It's a mystery. It's all a mystery that's ever evolving. This one, it literally feels like it's tugging at your wrist and saying, "Wait, we got more things to say. I got more things to say. Wait, it's not done." Other than that, it's well paced, but you will feel the length. And I was in the theater, so time is just like nothing to me. Um, surprisingly enough, this was a lot better paced than the ninety-minute film After Sun. Sorry, not sorry. Um, yeah, this is two and a half hours, over two and a half hours long, and it was, in my opinion, better paced than After Sun. Um, I love After Sun. I think this is better. Um, but this is, uh, I, I had a really great time with that, and having that perspective of that thing, of it being personal, and it eventually it lead, the film leads to this catharsis, catharsis of all these things of what his places in the world and who he is as a father and there's also these themes of grief of letting go of certain things um there is a, a beautiful catharsis for Inuritu and seeing that uh being played displayed artistically is really sort of beautiful and I respect Inuritu wholeheartedly for making a film as ambitious and as great as this one is Uh, please.
just check. I'm trying to figure out an intro for it. Uh, check this film out if that interests you. Um, if it's generally a film where if you connect with it and understand what the film is going for, I think you're going to vibe with it. And maybe you won't. Maybe just say, oh, that was good. Yeah, that was good. And you won't think about it again. Or you will uh, just be completely in love with it. Or you'll hate it. You'll think it's indulgent and pretentious. And that's okay. I think Inuritu really made this for himself. And I think if you love it, he's going to welcome you for the ride. And if you don't, you're not. He just doesn't care. So, yeah. Also, if you don't like Inuritu and his previous films, you don't like The Revenant, and you don't like Birdman, and you don't like Babel, or you don't like uh, Beautiful, or something like that, then you're probably not going to like this. You're probably going to hate this. You're probably going to absolutely hate this. Um, yeah. Check, but if this my review entices you, uh, check it out when it comes to Netflix on December 16th. Or check it out in select theaters now. Also a reminder that uh, if you guys are still listening, I highly doubt you are. Um, because I just looked at the things. You know, I'm going to edit this up. You guys are still listening. Um, Pinocchio also comes out in December on Netflix on December 6th. That was that episode. Uh, this week, I'm going to be recording with Jack. Hopefully, we get things finalized. And then after that, I'm going to try to maybe bring on another guest. Who knows? But it'll be solo work. Maybe we're going to be doing the solo thing. Like, every other week is going to be a guest. Who knows? I'll try to bring somebody on. I've asked somebody. They they said they'll think about it. So, there's that. Um, I'll maybe ask another uh, previous guest. Maybe ask a new guest. Who knows? So, yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and if you did, be sure to be on the lookout for more episodes in the future. I think we're done here, so please, step out of my office.